Chapter 12, Faith's Confession. The saying of faith is how we release faith into action. It's also one of the ways we keep our faith active. To assist in keeping faith active, God has given us the scriptural practice of confession. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Many misunderstand what the Bible means by confession, for society's use of the word has been shaped by traditional religious thought. When we think of confession, it's usually in context of having done something wrong, confessing sins or confessing to a crime, for example. We picture someone breaking down, reluctantly admitting to a priest, parent, detective, etc. that they have committed some bad deed. The Bible's use of the word confession is much broader. Although the Bible does speak of confessing sin in 1 John 1.9, that's not the main way Christian confession is practiced. The word confess literally means to speak the same. It's the compound Greek word homologeo. Homo meaning the same and logeo meaning spoken words. When we confess, we speak the same. What does it mean to speak the same? We are to speak the same as God, our words agreeing with His. Confessing a sin, for example, means verbally agreeing with God about it. When we confess a sin, we aren't informing God that it occurred. He already knows and sees all. We come to God in repentance, committing to forsake the sinful behavior. We agree that it's sin. We align ourselves with his disdain for the sinful act and with our words move away from the sin and toward him. We don't just speak the same when we've sinned, however. We are to speak the same all the time, each day aligning our words with God's word. When the word contradicts natural circumstances, we choose to disregard the circumstances and instead speak the word. The world calls this lying, however it's not. Lying is a misrepresentation of the truth. Faith is the most accurate representation of the truth. Speaking what God says rather than what we see is an integral part of the saying of faith. Faith words. Hebrews 11.1 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith deals with things not seen and not yet. When speaking words of faith, we speak of unseen things as though they were already here and now. Why would we say such things? Because God told us to and needs us to. He's the one who told us to believe that we receive when we pray, Mark eleven twenty four. If we believe God hears and answers us when we pray, we should speak accordingly, talking about the object of our faith as though it had already manifested. The Bible says, by his wounds we were healed, 1 Peter 2.24. When a person hears that scripture, faith for healing comes. The truth penetrates his or her spirit, producing an inner conviction that we are healed. That's step one of faith. Step two involves putting that faith into action through words. The believer might pray, Thank you, Lord. According to 1 Peter 2.24, we were healed by Jesus' wounds. If we were healed, then I am healed. Thank God I'm healed now. I call myself healed. In this case, a combination of praying and saying released the believer's faith into action. These kinds of faith words move our lives in the direction of those words. God inhabits those words with His power, bringing to pass their fulfillment. In the case of healing, it can take time for the natural realm to conform to the spiritual truth that we are healed. The body may continue to exhibit the symptoms it had before. 
What must we do while awaiting our full manifestation? We keep our faith active, continuing to speak in agreement with the word. We keep saying the same thing. We confess God's word. Every time you think of it, confess God's word over your situation. Thank God I'm healed now because 1 Peter 2.24 says, By his wounds I was healed. This type of speaking is what the writer of Hebrews was talking about when he told us to hold fast our confession. Look again at the verse we saw earlier, Hebrews 10.23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Hope in the Bible means expectation, an inner excitement that accompanies our believing. The confession of our hope, therefore, is the speaking of our expectation. It's not enough to just have right beliefs in our heart. Those beliefs must also proceed from our mouth. Only then will spiritual progress occur. We are to hold fast, continuing against all evidence to the contrary to our confession. We are to continue to speak the same as our believing. There will be plenty of opposition to your continued words of faith. That's why we are told to hold fast. Hold fast means hold on. Problems will try to make you let go of your beliefs. Natural circumstances will try to force you away from speaking the same as God. It's not natural to say something different than what is seen, heard, and felt. It's not normal to go against our physical senses. Faith, however, does just that. It swims upstream, continually defying natural evidence, giving God an open door to move in our situation. When Jesus lived and ministered on earth, he constantly spoke words of faith. Because his words were based on God's word, God was able to attach his power to those words. God's will was fully performed through Jesus because Jesus spoke right words. What about God's will today? Is he ready, willing, and able to do the same things he did through Jesus? He is. He just needs words of faith to which he can attach his power. Who speaks those words today? That would be us. Jesus, Peter, and Paul aren't here to do it. We must speak faith words, words that agree with God's word. Talk to things. Jesus didn't just speak to people when he was here on earth. He spoke to things. He cursed a fig tree, calmed a storm, and rebuked a fever. These things responded to the sound of his voice because his voice carried God's power. Things will likewise respond to our voice. I believe there's a truth here that not many have seen. No, we don't randomly speak off the top of our head, frivolously claiming everything we see. We speak what God has said. We must be proactive in this area, putting words of faith into play. It matters how we speak. Don't just talk about the problem. Talk about the answer. Don't say what it looks like. Say what it's supposed to be. Not long ago, while walking through my neighborhood, I stopped to look at a home that was being built. I noticed laying on the ground a pile of lumber that had been recently delivered. When I looked at that bundle of two-by-fours, the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, Do you see that wood? Although that's all he said, I instantly understood what he meant. He was reminding me of the fig tree Jesus cursed and how it responded to him. Jesus spoke to a tree and it obeyed. That means the tree could hear. If trees can hear, wood can hear. Wood comes from trees. Just as Jesus spoke to that tree and it obeyed, things will obey our voice. As I walked back to my house, I realized that underneath all the stone, stucco, drywall, and paint are sticks of wood. That wood hears my voice when I speak words of faith. My house will obey me. Houses can hear. I have important things to say to my house. First of all, I call it paid for. 
I like to say it this way. My house is paid up, paid off, and finished out. I say that almost every day. Why? Because that's what I want to come to pass. Those words are in agreement with God's will for my life. Therefore, God can attach His power to my words. Many trip over the thought of speaking to things, their mind deeming the practice silly or ignorant, yet this simple principle works powerfully. Brother Joel, do you really believe your house hears? You bet I do. If a tree, storm, fever, or mountain can hear, a house can hear. Jesus is the one who told us in unmistakable language that we can speak to things and expect them to obey. Luke 17, 6, And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. When God attaches His power to the words I speak, those words affect the natural realm where material things exist. We can talk to things and they will obey. We can call things that God has given us into our life and they will come. Every Christian, not just specially anointed ministers, but every believer, can call things that they need into their life and can command opposing circumstances to leave their life. Just as we would train a dog to respond to our voice, coming when we call him or leaving when we dismiss him, we are to use words of faith to call things into our life or remove them from our life. We see God in creation calling things into existence, the creative power of His words causing matter to appear in the natural realm. We see Adam in the garden naming the animals, presumably so they would respond to the command of His voice. Jesus, on multiple occasions, altered the course of nature through the use of words. Joshua spoke to the sun and moon, and they stood still. Anything that God has created, animal, vegetable, mineral, or otherwise, will respond to the words of faith. I've endeavored to faithfully practice this law of saying, it works. I've seen houses come and mortgages go. I've seen physical ailments depart. I've watched the plan of God come to pass. I've practiced this in my life for years and will continue to do so. Jesus saw things happen as he spoke. We too will see things happen as we speak. The things that are in your life can hear. Speak to them. Call it. Romans 4.17 in the King James Version. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. God brings things to pass through words of faith, calling things that are not as though they were. If we wish to successfully operate in faith, we must follow his example. We must learn to call things that be not as though they were. Do you need more customers for your business? Call them in. Do you need more people in your church? Call them in. Do you need more money to sow? Call it in. Do you need favor with city officials to complete a certain project? Call it done. Call those things that be not as though they were. Some, attempting to practice this verse, do so with a subtle variation that strips faith of its power. Instead of calling things that are not as though they were, they call things that are as though they are not. If they're struggling with debt, they say, I have no debt. If they're dealing with sickness, they may say, I have no sickness. Their confessions, although well-intentioned, are missing the mark. A slight adjustment in their saying will better align them with Scripture, positioning them for greater results. When we voice our beliefs, our own spirit hears the words we are saying and is influenced. 
However, when we confess what we don't have, let's use the statement, I have no pain, as an example. Our heart is hearing the key word, pain. Instead of calling things that are the pain as though they're not, it would be better to align with Scripture, calling things that are not, in this case, healing, as though they were. Instead of saying, I have no pain, say, I'm healed, I'm free. Now what is your spirit hearing? Healing, freedom, faith can come from those words. The confession of our faith should proceed from a heart of confidence rather than a shaky foundation of fear. People frantically trying to confess their problems away unknowingly voice their fears instead of faith. To continually say, I have no cancer, shows that a person is disease-minded rather than word-minded. Such confessions reflect denial of the problem rather than persuasion of the answer. Focus on the answer. Speak the answer. Faith says, my body is healed. My bills are paid. I am redeemed. Healed. Paid. Redeemed. That's what we want to focus on. That's the truth we want carved upon our heart. Answer the problem. Faith doesn't ignore the challenges of life. It faces them head on. When David went out to face the giant Goliath, Goliath began listing the many reasons why David should back off and run away. David, in turn, listed the many reasons why their conversation was about to be over. Instead of running away, David ran toward him, knocked him down, and cut off his head. Like David, faith runs toward its giants, knocks them down, and cuts off their head. When situations and circumstances talk to you, threatening your demise, answer them like David did. Talk right back to the negative voices, replacing the voice of the opposition with the voice of God's word. Notice this translation of Mark eleven fourteen, the account of the fig tree. And answering, he said to it, Hereafter forever from you no one eats fruit. And his disciples were listening. That's the Weiss translation. This verse says Jesus answered. Whom did he answer? The fig tree. That tree was talking to him, telling him he would have to go without food for the day. His body, already hungry and weak, was probably talking to him as well. Things were talking to Jesus and he did the right thing. He talked right back. He answered. Brother Joel, now you've really lost it. First you talk about us talking to things. Now you're talking about things talking to us. Absolutely. Bills can talk to you. You're never going to pay me off. I'm staying in your life forever. Your body can talk to you. You're not getting any younger. See all those wrinkles? Your emotions can talk to you. No one appreciates you at this church. The pastor doesn't recognize your gifts. Circumstances of all kinds can talk to you. Don't listen to them. Answer them. Interrupt them mid-sentence if need be. If you don't purposely talk back, contradicting the voice of your feelings with words that reflect God's word, you will begin to conform, agreeing with the problem and disconnecting from your answer. Years ago, God gave me a song along these lines called Answer It. It goes like this, answer the problem, answer the lack, answer the symptoms when they try to attack. When things talk to you, it's time to talk right back. It's amazing what will happen when you open your mouth and you answer it. Vain repetition. Another common error where confession is concerned is the belief that we must confess the word a certain number of times before God will hear an answer. Jesus addressed this in his teaching on prayer. Matthew 6, 7 in the Amplified Bible. And when you pray, do not heap up phrases, multiply words, repeating the same ones over and over as the Gentiles do. 
for they think they will be heard for their much speaking. The idea that we must log a certain number of confessions each day is based in fear and superstition, not faith. This practice is akin to the Catholic practice of repeating the Hail Mary prayer. It's what the King James Version calls vain repetitions. Matthew 6, 7 in the King James says, But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Repetition in itself is not wrong. It's actually helpful. The problem arises when repetitions are vain. Vain means empty. Confessions for the believer are empty when not spoken from a heart of faith. You can fire an empty gun as many times as you want, but repeatedly pulling the trigger doesn't cause a bullet to magically appear in the chamber. Before confessing your desires, take time to feed on God's word. Load your faith gun before firing it. Then faith will come and your words will be filled with purpose and power. Many believe that God acts on our behalf based on the number of times we pray or confess. Real faith, however, understands that God in redemption has already acted on our behalf. He's already provided all our needs. He's already pronounced us healed. Our confession is not for the purpose of convincing God to act, but rather to convince us to hold fast to our belief that He has already acted. The believer who understands the power of his or her words can become powerful in the earth. We don't need empty, vain repetition, but rather words of conviction fueled by faith. When we hear, God's word penetrates our spirit. Faith comes. Then our words penetrate the spirit realm, opening a channel through which answers, blessings, and miracles can flow. Learn to speak not randomly or fearfully, but purposefully and powerfully. Your words will move mountains. Your words will create your reality. Your words work. Chapter 13. Faith Moves Once faith has come, it must be released through words. Then we must continue to speak, holding fast our confession by keeping our words aligned with God's word. But what comes next? Is that all there is to faith? No, there's more. The Spirit of God spoke four phrases to me that night as I lay down for bed. The first one was, faith comes. The second, faith says. The third phrase he spoke to me was, faith moves. Once we have obtained faith and released it into action through words, we must be sensitive to any further instructions God may give. Actions, movement in line with our believing and saying, are an essential part of the process of faith. We've already spoken of the hearing of faith and the saying of faith. We could call this step the obedience of faith. When God requires our faith to be accompanied by acts of obedience, we must perform those acts. We must obey. Abraham, often called the father of faith, didn't just believe and say. He also had to obey, climbing Mount Moriah to offer his son Isaac. Noah didn't just receive the word of the Lord concerning the coming flood. He had to fire up his air compressor, charge the batteries on his power tools, and get to work. Moses didn't just confess away the waters of the Red Sea. He had to make movement, lifting his rod to part the water. Joshua and his followers didn't just release faith from their mouths regarding Jericho. They marched around the city day by day as instructed. Jesus' ministry, although powerful in word, was also action-packed. There were times when he spoke the word only, like Matthew 8, 8, but there were also times when he required specific action from the recipients of his ministry. Stretch forth your hand. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. 
Go show yourselves to the priest. Make the people sit in groups of 50. Why all this movement? What's so important about action? In each case, the required action brought forth the desired results. God's power attached itself to the believer's acts of faith. God will direct you towards certain action at times, leading you to victory. We must obey, giving our full effort in the direction of His leading. However, we need not wait for a special word or leading to begin to act. What is it that you're believing for? What has the word promised you? What have you been saying? If you can answer these questions, you can answer this next question. What can you begin to do? What action can you take that aligns with your beliefs? Do you believe you're well? Have you been calling yourself well? Then begin making movement to the degree you are able. How would a well person act? What would a well person be doing? Faith, real faith, makes plans based on the word of God rather than circumstances. Do you really believe you're well? Then plan accordingly. Meet your friend for coffee. Go to church. Get ready for work. Even if you can't stay as long as you'd like, your actions, the movement of your faith, will be something God can inhabit with His power. I'm reminded of two great examples along these lines. One is the story of the Presbyterian minister, A.B. Simpson. Reverend Simpson had developed a heart condition from which doctors said he would never recover. That condition worsened until Brother Simpson could no longer fulfill his ministerial duties. He realized that since the doctors couldn't help him, any further help would have to come from God. It's important to note that faith is not incompatible with natural remedies such as doctors and medicine. God is the one who has given doctors their ability to help us in our areas of need. However, the believer should look to God and His Word first. Seek God before you go to the doctor, and then seek His counsel as you consider the doctor's counsel and recommendations. Any interaction with doctors and or medications should be accompanied by faith. Brother Simpson took time apart to seek God's word on the subject of healing. What he discovered astounded him. He saw that God provided healing through Christ just as he had provided salvation through Christ. He also saw that just as he had received Christ as Savior, he must receive him as healer. What was happening here? As Reverend Simpson heard from God, faith came. What's the next step? Faith in one's heart must be released into action through the mouth. Brother Simpson actually wrote down the words that he spoke that day. To him they were covenant words, sacred and binding. He said, On this day I receive Christ as my healer. Therefore, I'm healed, not just from heart disease, but from every disease. What happened when he released his faith? God attached his power to his words, bringing to pass the healing that Jesus had provided. How did things look from the natural standpoint? How did he feel? Likely not much different. Let's be clear. Faith does not mean that everything in the natural will change instantly. If it did, the many encouragements to hold fast in Scripture would be unnecessary. Things certainly can change quickly in response to faith, but more often than not, our answer manifests over time. Don't forget this important truth. Storms and tests don't last forever, but neither do they last just a few minutes. How long a test or trial lasts depends on a variety of factors. The biggest factor? Your faith. Your hearing, believing, saying, and acting. Brother Simpson, healed as far as he and God were concerned, began to minister again. He preached, enthusiastically sharing his newfound revelation of the healing mercies of God. His condition improved, but by no means was he symptom-free. One day, while fellowshipping with some other ministers at a retreat, Brother Simpson was asked to join them on a mountain hike. 
His first thought was, I can't do that. The doctor said I might drop dead if I exert myself like that. Then he remembered scriptures such as Matthew 8:17. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. If Jesus took them, Brother Simpson reasoned, I don't have them. If I don't have them, I'm well. If I'm well, what's preventing me from hiking up a mountain? Before he realized it, he had answered his ministry colleagues, sure, I'll come along. He testified that he felt as though he might die on that trip up the mountain. As he focused on the erratic beating of his heart, his condition worsened. When he turned his thoughts to the Word of God, however, his condition improved. Climbing that mountain was a battle, yet the battle was not merely physical. It was also mental and spiritual. For him to win the physical battle, he had to first win the battle raging in his mind. He had to ignore the voice of his symptoms, focusing his thoughts upon the Word of God. He had to keep moving up the mountain, empowered by the truth of God's Word. By the time Brother Simpson reached the summit of that mountain, his heart was beating normally. He was completely and forever free from that debilitating condition. How did he receive his healing? By faith. Faith had to come and continue to come. Faith had to say and continue to say. And faith had to move. Actions that corresponded with his beliefs were required. I'm convinced that had Brother Simpson not climbed that mountain, he would not have received the full manifestation of his healing. Manifestation meets movement. Some may hear that story and think, when Brother Simpson proved to God that he believed by climbing the mountain, God healed him. That's incorrect. He wasn't trying to prove anything or get God to do anything. He climbed that mountain not to get healed, but because he already was healed. God didn't heal him on top of that mountain. God healed him centuries earlier on Mount Calvary when Jesus bore our sickness. His climbing the mountain, the action that followed his faith, simply opened the door for more of God's healing power to flow, driving out the remainder of the disease. The great preacher Smith Wigglesworth, so convinced of the necessity of faith's actions, would pace the platform at his meetings, repeating the phrase, faith is an act. He understood that no action meant no receiving. Action, the movement of faith, leads to manifestation. Remember the ten lepers of Luke 17? As they went, as they moved, they were healed. We must be bold to move. We must be bold to act. The other example that I was reminded of is the story of the healing of my spiritual father, Reverend Kenneth E. Hagan. He had been afflicted also with a heart condition his whole life, unable to enjoy his childhood. Just prior to his 16th birthday, he became totally bedfast. While on the bed of sickness, he began to search God's word for answers. He, like Brother Simpson, knew that his help was with God for medical science could offer no cure. Brother Hagen read the account of the woman in Mark 5 who had suffered for 12 years with a blood disorder. Jesus spoke to this woman saying, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. As Brother Hagen read those words, the Spirit of God spoke to him. If her faith made her whole, your faith can make you whole. If her hearing, saying, and moving brought her results, his hearing, saying, and moving could bring him results. God was teaching Brother Hagen that his healing depended on his own faith more than on any other factor. As he continued to read through Mark's gospel, he came to the 11th chapter, the passage where Jesus cursed the fig tree and taught his followers the principles of faith. As he read, the Holy Spirit called his attention to the last part of the 24th verse. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Mark eleven twenty four. The Spirit showed Brother Hagen that we must believe we receive before we have. 
In other words, we must believe that our answer is a present reality in our life before it ever shows up in the natural. This is key. We must have it spiritually before we have it naturally. We must have it inwardly before we have it outwardly. We must have it before we have it. Many who set out in faith miss it right here, failing to believe they receive. Their faith stalls because they don't believe they have their answer now. God's going to do it. The body of Christ is in need of greater revelation in this area of believing we receive. One phrase we often hear faith people say is, God's going to do it. There are many variations to this phrase, such as, I believe God's going to heal me. I believe he's going to supply my need. He'll come through just in time. He's going to answer our prayers. God will take care of it. He's about to do something great. He's going to pour out a blessing. He's getting ready for something wonderful. He's about to do a miracle. These phrases all sound faith-infused, but in reality, they reveal a lack of understanding about faith. They all speak of what God is going or about to do. They speak to the future, whereas real faith is always now. When these kinds of phrases are spoken publicly, crowds usually cheer in delight. I, however, inwardly cringe knowing that deferred faith is ineffective faith. Sure, God's works tomorrow will be as great as his works today, but faith is all about what we have now. Say it a few times. Faith is now. Individuals who are always talking about what God is going to do lack revelation concerning what he's already done. This may seem like a subtle or minor issue, like I'm being overly technical or critical, but this kind of talk is one of the biggest indicators that the person who thinks they're in faith really isn't. Even great people of God can miss it in this area. A person with real faith simply isn't waiting on God. Stop talking about what we're going to see. If you don't see it now in your believing, thinking, and speaking, you won't see it later. The devil doesn't mind you believing God as long as you never reach the place where you have it now, where you presently possess the object of your belief. Satan loves that song from the musical Annie that says, Tomorrow, tomorrow, I love you tomorrow, you're always a day away. As long as faith is deferred, a day away, anything but right now, the enemy knows that he's safe. He knows that future faith is failed faith. If you're waiting on God to do something, whatever it is you need, you don't believe you've received it. If you don't believe you've received it, you're not in faith. If you're not in faith, God can't bring his power to your situation. If God can't bring his power to your situation, you'll have to make do on your own. I don't know about you, but I'm in trouble without God's power and help. I can't make it on my own. I must believe I receive. I must be persuaded that I have my answer now. Brother Hagen saw this truth. He said, I see. I need to believe I'm well while my heart is still beating erratically. He made the adjustment, aligning his beliefs with God's word, and began to thank God that he was already healed. After just a few minutes praising God, the Spirit spoke to him, saying, Get up! Well, people ought to be up at 10 o'clock in the morning. Brother Hagen at that time was almost completely paralyzed, but when God says, Get up! Faith moves. He made movement the best he could in response to the Spirit's command. Although he only had limited use of his hands, he wrapped them around his bedpost, wiggling his way to a seated position. He then slid his legs off the bed and onto the floor. He said they dropped to the floor like two chunks of wood. He pulled himself up by the bedpost and began to praise God that he was, not going to be, but already was, healed. 
As he held on to that bed, praising God, something that felt like warm honey hit him in the head and ran down his body. That was the anointing, the power of God. The next thing he knew, he was standing up without assistance, healed. What happened? Brother Hagin's cooperation with the laws of faith, hearing, saying, acting, gave God an open channel through which his power could flow. But what if he hadn't acted? What if when God told him, get up, he reasoned it away, saying, I'm paralyzed or I'm too weak for that? He wouldn't have received the manifestation of his healing had he not obeyed. His obedience, the action of his faith, opened the door for God's power to flow. The flow of God's power moved his healing from the spiritual realm to the natural realm where it could be experienced physically. God moved by his power because Brother Hagin moved in faith. Faith moves. Chapter 14, Corresponding Actions What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? James 2.14 Having faith is important. It's the first step in seeing impossible situations come to pass. But having faith is not the only step. Faith doesn't just come, it also says and moves. James, in this verse, asks the question, If faith is not accompanied by works, can faith save? In other words, if someone has faith but doesn't put it into action, will his or her faith work? The answer is a resounding no. This verse has always required explanation due to the words works and save. Many assume that works is the same as the works of the law, the efforts of the flesh. That's not the case here. Works is simply referring to actions that correspond to our beliefs. The word save, contrary to common belief, is not just speaking about coming to Christ and being born again. Salvation in the New Testament includes everything the believer would receive from God. The Weymouth translation brings much-needed clarity. What good is it, my brethren, if a man professes to have faith, and yet his actions do not correspond? Can such faith save him? If someone says they are believing God for their healing, yet they spend their days planning their funeral, what do we know? They are not believing God for healing. They are not in faith. Were they really in faith, their actions would correspond to their beliefs. They would plan their vacation instead of their funeral. If a person says they are believing God for a new luxury car, yet they make no effort to care for their present vehicle or clean their garage, we know they're not really in faith. Many say they're in faith when they're really just dreaming, wishing, hoping, talking, etc. When a person is in faith, corresponding actions will accompany their words. Faith obeys. The movement of faith is not random movement. It must be in accordance with God's word and the Spirit's leading. When God gives instructions, they must be followed explicitly. There were bodies of water that were more convenient for the blind man than the pool of Siloam, but since Jesus told him to go there, he had to go there. The Jordan was not Naaman the Syrian's preferred river, but since the prophet sent him there, he had to wash in that river. Those who feel free to modify the Lord's instructions, changing them to suit their own desires, will find themselves lacking the best part of faith, results. God doesn't tell us everything at once. He gives us partial information, just enough to act upon. Were he to tell us everything up front, faith wouldn't be required and he wouldn't be able to act. When the Apostle Paul, at his conversion, asked God what he should do, God responded, Go into the city and it shall be told you. Faith is simple. Do this. Say that. Go here. God gave Paul the next step of his plan. 
because Paul obeyed that step going into the city, the next part of his plan for him was revealed. God has told many people to go into the city, but to them that's not enough information. They won't go until they know every last detail. Although they say they are believing God for direction, they're really not. They're in disobedience. No matter how much they feed upon or confess the word, they won't get results until they obey what God told them. They must make their required movement to go along with their faith. They must stop asking questions and just go into the city. We must train ourselves to instantly obey God's voice. Obedience is no small thing. It can mean life or death for ourselves or someone else. If a person is in the habit of mentally arguing with God's instructions, they will cease hearing his instructions. They will go without God's precious direction and leading and will suffer much defeat and disappointment in life. I, like others, have had to train myself to obey God's voice. We train ourselves in this area by always obeying the written word of God. Then we obey the promptings and leadings of the Holy Spirit. The word is first. If a person won't obey God's written word, acting upon it as required, they will never obey a word given by the Spirit. When God several years ago spoke those three words to me, get to Tulsa, that was the end of our conversation. As I said, I didn't want to move there, but my desires didn't factor into our decision to obey. I had trained myself to obey his voice regardless of personal preference. I didn't clutter up the decision by asking, why Tulsa? I didn't ask, what do you want me to do there? I could sense that he wanted me to go into the city as quickly as possible, so I just focused on getting to the place he assigned me. Within six weeks, I was living in Tulsa. The movement of faith is not difficult. God has never asked me to do something that was hard or complicated. It might have been hard on my flesh and mind, but the actions themselves were not hard. He's never told me to go on an extended fast, and he probably never will. He's likely not telling you to go on an extended fast either. People think that if their actions are extreme, it will somehow get God's attention and prove their faith. No, sir. No, ma'am. Extreme actions are rooted in fear rather than faith, the believer scrambling to do something wild as a last-ditch effort to get an answer. I can tell them their answer right now. They need to go back to step one. Faith comes by hearing. The hearing of faith precedes the movement of faith. One extreme action that people often take is throwing away their medication. Please hear me carefully. You don't have to throw out your medicine in order to prove that you're in faith. You can take medicine and still be in faith. If you feel as though your faith has brought you to the place where you no longer need your medications, your doctor will confirm that and he or she can help you safely come off of them. I've had several church members over the years take themselves off their medications. Not once was it the right decision. I always counsel people to consult with their doctor first. There are plenty of actions that are appropriate for the person who is in faith. If you're believing God for a spouse, begin preparing yourself for that spouse. Take the action of keeping your body in good shape so you'll be attractive to your future spouse. Eliminate as much debt from your life as possible so you don't financially encumber a new spouse. These kinds of actions, although not always exciting or extreme, correspond to faith and don't require any special leading. A woman of faith. Mark 5, 25 through 28. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. 
And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. This woman had an illness that had ravaged her body for 12 long years and drained her of her finances. Thank God she was completely healed. Notice, however, what enabled God's healing power to flow to her. First, she heard about Jesus. What did she hear? She must have heard that people everywhere were being healed as they touched him. After faith came, she voiced her beliefs, putting her faith into action through words. She said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Those words of faith were words that God could inhabit. Faith came, faith spoke, but that's not all that happened. Had she remained where she was in the comfort of her living quarters, this story would not have ended as it did. We wouldn't be reading about it these many years later. This woman refused to allow fear to keep her still or hold her back. She arose, making movement that corresponded with her beliefs. Imagine how weak and frail she must have been after 12 years of constant bleeding. Imagine the thoughts that came against her as she made her way toward the crowd. You can't do this. Your immune system is compromised. You'll die out there. She had to overcome her thoughts and the voice of her physical symptoms to begin making movement. The heat, the smell, the crowd, she had to press through it all, but that's what faith does. It moves when everything in the natural says stay put. It runs toward the opposition. It swims upstream and ignores the mainstream. How did all this work out for her? She was set free from a dozen years of disease. I've had God deal with me at times to begin making movement towards certain things that he had for me. He has made statements to us such as, that's your house. I had to receive the word that I heard from him, meditating on it until faith came. Then I spoke words that agreed with his words. Next, I had to make movement toward the particular home he showed me. I couldn't substitute another home that was cheaper or easier on my faith. I set out to make movement without any of the resources to complete the transaction. The resources always came after I stepped out and began to move. God inhabits the action of our faith with his power. We need not do anything extreme, but must simply take a step in the direction of our faith. God will direct our movement as we look to him. The actions are as simple as fill the pots with water, but the results are miraculous, water being turned into wine. We must be as simple-minded and open-hearted as the servants at the wedding of Cana. Mary told them, do whatever he tells you, John 2.5. I have a dear friend in ministry who several years ago pioneered a new church. They began meeting in a building where they had to set up and tear down their equipment each week. Being a new church, they had to believe for everything, including all their help. In particular, they needed help in the area of music. They released their faith for a keyboard player to come and were speaking in line with their beliefs. However, they took their faith one step further. They put action to their faith by setting up a keyboard. Each week, they set up that keyboard, connected it to the sound system, and then packed it up after the service was over. Imagine the thoughts that would come against these pastors for taking action that supported their beliefs. Why are we going to all the trouble to set this up with no one to play it? People are going to think we're crazy. Faith cares not what people think. Faith is occupied with what God thinks. We give action to our faith because faith is not static or idle. It moves. After a good while, setting it up, tearing it down, setting it up, tearing it down, that keyboard player showed up. In fact, an entire worship team was formed. It matters that appropriate movement accompanies our faith. If you want your mountain to move, you must move. 
Put action to your believing and speaking. The word itself will dictate certain actions that must accompany your believing. At other times, God will specifically direct your action. Either way, be sure to add corresponding actions to your faith. Then you will enjoy faith's results. Faith comes. Faith says. Faith moves.